seated. Greetings in Jesus' name. Welcome again to each one's here. I can say it's been a blessing to be here. Um, certainly been blessed with this, this morning's service. And uh, even the past week or so, with my, uh, my message this morning, the second coming of our Lord, I've noticed that uh, this has been coming up quite a bit lately. Last Sunday, I think Josh read from uh, a chapter in Peter that I might refer to a little bit later on. Uh, even his past Wednesday night service, that was brought out several times. And I think that this is something that I, quite frankly, haven't discussed or preached about enough lately. I think it's something that we really do need to talk about more than we do. We need to think about this. This needs to be something that we uh, encourage one another with. Or, like it says in several places, comfort one another. The events of our day can scare us. They really can. There's a lot of uncertainties. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of things happening that don't, aren't right, don't look good, uh, are evil. And yet, <clears throat> I think this is a sign of the times in which we're living in. And we really need to be focused and thinking and talking more about the second coming of our Lord. Second referring to, obviously, there was a first time, which there was. And uh, I'm not referring to that. We'll get that another month and a half. But uh, this is the future event, the event that hasn't happened yet, when a Lord will return <clears throat> to take his saints with him into glory. So this is, a, <clears throat> this is a, an exciting topic. Um, and it's something that I, like I said, I haven't preached about it very much. I haven't, I don't talk about it enough. But I'm hoping that we can uh, inspire one another to talk more about this and have it more on our minds, especially as we see some of these events unfolding, events that were prophesied. I don't know how that makes you feel, but I can get excited about that. Um, things that were prophesied in Scripture seem to be unfolding, happening. Um, and so I'd like us to think about that, uh, especially as we uh, see ourselves where we are in our day today. But for a text, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 is <clears throat> written by Paul to the church at Thessalonica. And they, of course, like us, had their own culture that they had to uh, live in and be a part of and process this teaching in, 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 in their own day. But the first, um, I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 18. Uh, the first part of the chapter is a bit of a, a call to holiness, a holy living. And some things that, that, that they are to put aside and certainly things that they were to uh, be, adapt as part of their lifestyle. But let's just skip over that. We might go back to that a little briefly uh, a little later. But let's read in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses, start of verse 9. 
and to the end of the chapter, verse 18. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. And that ye study to be quiet and do your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, that ye may have lack of nothing. <clears throat> but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. <clears throat> the second coming of our Lord is certainly a highly anticipated event, and it certainly will be an exciting time for all of us. Um, we see all around us men's hearts failing them for fear, and that's taken from a few verses out of Luke 21. I'm going to read those right now. Luke 21, uh, verse 25, Jesus was had his disciples around him, and he was foretelling some of these things that are going to happen. And um, some of them, some of them, the things that he, he was telling them about already did, I mean, in our time, and uh, some have not yet. Luke 21, verse 25. Distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after these things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Doesn't that sound like today? Distress of nations. Um, there's a lot of fear out there. I don't know how many people are having heart attacks and dying because of fear, but apparently some of that's going on too or will happen. These are things that that are part of us that we see happening today. And um, so that in, in, in that sense, I think that we can, we can see that things really are sort of shaping up, as you might say. Um, some of the things that we can expect to see or should look for, Luke 17, 26 and 27, it says, it's, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Uh, I gather from that not that there is anything wrong with eating and drinking and having weddings, but they were just living life, just normal everyday life without much thought beyond that, just for right here and now. And those people in Noah's day missed it completely. Let's turn to that. Genesis chapter 6, we get just a brief picture of that day or that time. Genesis chapter 6 is 
sort of a dark, sad scene. But again, I, I think I can see a lot of similarities in our day as well. Let's read Genesis 6, verse 1. And it came to pass when, when, men's, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the, the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, and, and the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. <clears throat> and God saw that the wickedness of men was great on the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. <clears throat> and the Lord said, I will, not, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowl of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now there's a lot of things here that seem a bit foggy, a bit unclear, uh, and there's some different thoughts about that phrase, the sons of men marry the sons of God marrying daughters of men. Um, I I like this one interpretation where it might refer to Seth's descendants. Seth was Seth was uh, Adam and Eve's son that was born after uh, Cain killed Abel. And referring to the daughters of men could be Cain's descendants. And you'll, you'll know, I'm not going to get into that, but if you follow the, the lineage here in the previous chapter, chapter 5, you'll see where Seth's descendants ended up in Cain's. Uh, Cain's descendant sort of boastfully speaks of murdering a man. And Seth's descendants were one of those who began to call on the Lord. Something for you to look at if you, if you care to sometime in the near future. But I think that might be a bit of an of interpretation of that. When the, the um, Seth's descendants, who were sons of God, as it were, married uh, Cain's descendants, who, were, had, an, uh, who had a, um, a sinful heritage, as, uh, if, if you might say. But we see there in, in verse 5 of chapter 6 here... Um, this is what it looked like in that day. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that look like in our day and sometimes <clears throat> there just seems to be a, a, a bend, a desire, an interest toward, we call it progressiveness. Progressiveness. Isn't that what it's called nowadays? Uh, I, I, I sort of see the same thing here in that way. Progressive or more and more evil, further from God's truth and from his teaching. But then in verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. You know, and that's not the whole verse, but that's the beginning. You know, I, Noah was very alone in this task that he was called to. 
we don't, Scripture doesn't tell us of very much support that he had at all. Um, he, it seems like he had his family support, his immediate family, and that's all that we have record of. And can you imagine if you ever feel yourself alone in your quest to serve the Lord, your desire to do what's right, to follow his principles? Think of Noah. I'm sure all of us have more support than Noah did. He had very little. But he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And also notice what else is said. He says he was moved with fear. Fear being a, a uh, not being scared, but a, a sense of awe and reverence toward God. Somehow, Noah believed God. Remember, they were living in a desert. It rarely rained, if ever, though earth was watered with dew and so forth. This is a desert, and he was talking about a flood? Really, Noah, a flood? To the point where he built this massive boat and ship. And I guess it's just my desire that we might all find grace in the eyes of the Lord <clears throat> in the days that we live. Even though our day many times looks a lot like it did in Noah's day. Let's turn back to 1 Thessalonians 5 again, or 4 rather. We'll look at uh, some of those verses uh, as we think of the uh, beginning of the chapter, as I mentioned, sort of a call to holy living. Holy living and love for one another. And remember, that's what Jesus told us, that by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. The world doesn't know that love. The world thinks mainly of me, and then whatever's left I'll give to you. That's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to love one another, and in this way, the world will know that we love one another. <clears throat> you know, the, um, the moral climate of the Roman Empire was not healthy at this time. Immorality was a way of life, and they had lots of leisure time because there were slaves to do all the, the, uh, the, 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 the menial tasks. And they had seemingly a lot of discretionary time, a lot of time where they could indulge in the latest pleasures. And so here's these new Christians who were uh, living out or trying to live out their life in, uh, to, to live a holy lifestyle in a culture that did not make it easy. And the fight around them was constant. It was real. Um, and notice some of the things that Paul addresses to them here, <clears throat> verses 11 and 12, he talks about um, walking honestly toward them that are without, meaning the unbelievers, leaving a clear testimony. He also encourages them to, um, you know, support themselves, um, work with their own hands, support yourself, do your own business, as we commanded you, and I'm not sure what the alternative was other than supporting on, leeching off of those who were around you. Again, the Greeks despised manual labor. And as I said, they had slaves to do most of that for them. But this was a different uh, teaching for the, for the new believers, for the Christians, those who are following Jesus' teaching. Paul was admonishing them to support themselves honestly and uh, 
and to work for your own needs so that you don't need to be supported by others, especially the unbelievers. Um, they were to work so their own needs were met. In another scripture, Paul, he gives us another reason to work so that we may have to give to those in need. So um, this is also, this is certainly a, a call to holiness for us as well, uh, that we may uh, have to those, give to those who are in need and also so that we're not uh, a stumbling block to those that are without, as Paul calls them. But then if we move on, I'd like to think of the next section as the comfort of God's truth. Now there was, uh, and, and as we get into the, the next section here, I, I like the way he starts right there in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, uh, that's a given. That's certainly a basis for our belief of this. You know, here again, the, the pagan world in Paul's day had no hope of Hereafter, There was no hope of life after death. There was no assurance whatsoever. It was, it was just a dark uh, scene of a big question mark. And so this, this also raised these questions in the lives of these new believers. Uh, what about this Lord's return? What, what about uh, our loved ones who've already deceased us, predeceased us? What, what about them? Uh, how about those of us who are still alive? What's going to happen to them? When will we meet them? How will we meet them? How's all this going to happen? And he's, he's telling us that there's no need to mourn as those who have no hope. He's referring to them. They had, the pagan world had no hope of, of an afterlife. No hope of, of a happy eternal life. There's no need for us to mourn as those who have no hope. <clears throat> first of all, because he said Jesus was the first to rise from the dead. As scripture calls him many times, he was the first fruits. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. This is a big long chapter that has to do with the resurrection and and it begins with a lot of things like the eyewitnesses that we have there in the beginning of the chapter. But let's go all the way down to verse 16 and read a couple of verses. And this is, again, Paul writing this to the church of Corinth. And he is in his mind going back through some of these arguments that they may have. And again, I don't have time to go in through that whole, that whole discourse. But um, there in verse 16, he starts with, uh, a, a really a logical conclusion. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. You see that? There's just one thing leading up to the next. Verse, verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But then in verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. If, if all these things, he, he starts with all these ifs, but then in verse 20, but now is Christ raised from the dead. And certainly we know that, where does it say, uh, Jesus appeared to like 500 followers after his resurrection, certainly to, the, to, to all of the apostles and to Paul personally, in, in person. 
in after his resurrection, they all saw him in his in his uh, after he at, after he was resurrected. So there were a lot of witnesses, and Paul being one of them. This is the the basis for that because of because Jesus was the first one. We can certainly look forward to that as well. Um, He's telling us that God will bring those who've gone on before along with him. Verse uh, verse 14. uh, For if if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. You know, uh, I I like that the the next couple of verses, especially when he he goes on into that, some of the details... um, Verse 16, for he says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I like the one translation, I think it's the Amplified, uses the, the, the phrase, a loud cry of summons. Um, you know, the, 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 the shout of the archangel and the trumpet blast. You know, the Jews were very familiar with the trumpet. That was used, we see that all the time in, in the, uh, their journey through uh, the wilderness, back in Moses' day. They used the trumpet uh, to, to, to call attention. It was used to declare war. It was used to announce special times and seasons. It was uh, to gather people for a journey. Uh, you'll also remember, I think it was in, in uh, Nehemiah's day, on the wall. When they were building the wall and they were threatened by enemies all around, someone was to be on guard with a trumpet. Uh, just a, a nothing electronic. It's just a, a, a really loud sound that would carry well. And um, this is the scene that that I can picture in 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 this day here when when the Lord returns. Notice also it will happen instantly um, in 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 the in the blink of an eye. Uh, and I think. I'll turn back to 1 Corinthians for that. This is, again, Paul's continuation in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, think of that happening in a blink of an eye. Blink your eye. It's that fast, just like that. You know, this, this is obviously really amazing. Uh, when you think of in an instant, it's going to happen, just like that. When will it happen? We don't know exactly, except to be ready. Let's read the next chapter, First Thessalonians 5, the first five verses there. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that are right unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness." Notice the contrast. We and they. You notice that? Verse 3. And when they 
shall say peace and safety, and then sudden destruction comes. Verse 4, but ye, brethren, see the difference? That event doesn't need to take us as surprise. No, we don't know the day nor the hour, but we can see events unfolding. We can see things happening. We can see that day approaching. But they won't have a clue. They will not be ready. They will not even know what's going on. But we can. We can. We can know. Again, I don't know. We don't know the day nor the hour. Scripture tells us that. But that doesn't say we might not have an idea of the season or maybe a time frame. All I can say is I think we're close to, I'm sure we're closer now than we ever were. <clears throat> but again, focusing on the end, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Let's turn to Revelation 21. I want to take just a few minutes to look at that scene as we have uh, from John's perspective. Um, especially thinking of those last couple verses there in 1 Corinthians 15. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I'm going to read verses, uh, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. And this is after the great white throne judgment that we have there in, in, in chapter 20. Where we have the book of life opened and the books which is these books that are, will be used to judge the world. Verse 1, chapter 21 of Revelations. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. First of all, let me start off here. But this is John's vision that he had in the first chapter of Revelation. You'll see that. Jesus revealed himself to him and he wrote down what he saw. So I take this as being pretty direct. This is firsthand news that we have right here coming directly from John who saw this directly Jesus revealed this to him and he wrote again verse 1 and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea <clears throat> and I John saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying behold the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Just a few thoughts from these verses here. Notice that new heaven and a new earth. Remember the original one was burned up. Now, there's a lot of speculation thoughts about this. And I don't know to what extent, I don't think the whole earth will be burned up, but the surface that we see. Everything will be new. There will be no more sea. Now, why would John make mention of that? Remember, John was banished on an island as a part of his sentence for serving God. 
It, it, this sea to him meant separation, danger, storms. John, or um, yeah, John sees no sea. There's no separation. There's no storms. There's no shipwrecks anymore. He sees New Jerusalem. Now, this is a city. Now, we think of city, we often think of big high-rise skyscrapers and streets and traffic lights and all that. But I think this is more people. Not buildings and streets, but a people. This whole city is coming. He sees the whole city. Another focus, the tabernacle of God is now with men. God will be there, the best part of all. You know, just a quick history of God's dwelling among men. First in the garden, he walked with men. He talked with them, one to one. And then sin separated that. And then through their journey in the wilderness, God dwelt in a temple. This is just, a, not a temple, but a tabernacle or a tent, a temporary, whatever it was made of, animal skins that was portable. It went with them. And as they moved, it moved and they set it up again. That's where God spoke to the leaders, to Moses, revealed his will to them, gave them directions. And then, of course, after that, when they were in their um, promised land, they built a temple. God met them there. Again, separated with this great, big, thick, heavy veil. There was still some separation, but that's where he met them. Then Jesus came to live with us for a short time. God became a man for a short time and dwelt among us, walked and talked with those on the earth. After that, Jesus departed and sent the Holy Spirit. It's getting better, isn't it? Now the Holy Spirit dwells in each of us. Not only do we have to go to Jesus like they did then, but we have the Holy Spirit or a part of God dwelling in us. But notice the emphasis several times. God will dwell with them. Another thing, God will wipe away all tears. No more death, sorrow, crying, or pain. It's gone. It's all gone. All things will be new, he says. <clears throat> and we notice here in verse 7, these people are all overcomers. You know, he mentions that in the beginning of Revelations to the, to the seven churches, there's a blessing to those who overcome. All of those will have overcome and uh, <clears throat> shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You know, this is a, this is a, uh, a vast subject. It really is. I feel like I sort of skim the surface. But I'm hoping that we can, um, through, through this, be, be encouraged and to, to think more about it, to talk about it, to maybe even plan our lives around this event. Plan accordingly. We all have, <clears throat> I'm sure we all have our schedules made up for next week. Most of us probably do. I'm as, <laughs> I have as tight a schedule as anyone. But that gets, that gets messed up every now and then. Things come up that I can't 
keep that schedule and I have to keep adjusting things. And I think that's just a good reminder that God really is in control. Um, I think we could do well to think more if God wills, this will happen. And maybe at times when it doesn't happen, just calm down, think about, maybe God has something better in store. Let's kneel as we pray. Lord, we thank you again for this reminder of this truth from your word. Thank you so much that you truly have been the first fruits of them that slept. And thank you, Father, that through that we too can have power and can rest assured that we also will be raised to newness of light. Thank you for these glimpses that you give us in your word about our eternity. Father, there's a lot of unanswered uh, questions, a lot of details that we don't have, but we thank you that you have given us enough to give us an assurance and a confidence of this event will happen. And Father, we also realize that we are here today yet. These, some of these events are unfolding right before our eyes. Some of these things are happening now that were foretold, that were prophesied in your scripture, as you revealed to your prophets and they wrote. Thank you that you have revealed this to the Apostle John, and he was able to write, and this is preserved for us today. We just pray that we would be able to, as we look at these events, we would be comforted, we would be blessed and encouraged to see that yes, in spite of the chaos in our world, the greed, the sin, the evil that is so rampant, thank you that you have things perfectly in control and everything is going according to your plan and your timetable. Help us again to remember this and to keep this in our minds and to, to live and plan our lives accordingly. And so we pray your blessing now as we go from here. May we be strengthened. May we be encouraged as we again think of this and help us, Father, to again have a good week in you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.